Blog Talk Radio. You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That Ain't that what we're supposed to do? It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. Most people achieve. You got all the answers about how you gon' reach. If I can make one more suggestion respectfully, I would say it's more effective to treat people like children. Understanding the time and love and patience that's needed to grow. This change is inevitable, but ain't none of us seen this before. Therefore, we just gotta learn everything as we go. I struggle with thoughts on the daily. Feel like a slave to somehow to save. And no coins to buy his way about a slavery. Think it just maybe in my pursuit to make life so much better for me and my babies. I done betrayed the very same people that look at me like I'm some kind of a hero because of the zeros that's next to the commas. But look here, I promise I'm not who you think. Ran into this nigga outside of the store yesterday. He said something that had me like wait he was like cold appreciate what you've been doing my nigga that's real but damn why i feel faker than snow on the bluff or maybe because deep down i know i ain't doing enough and one of those tweets he said uh we all got to be easy with each other we all got to be kind to each other something be nice to each other and he yo he's absolutely right my brothers my sisters everybody's hurting yeah everybody is in pain yeah yeah everybody's tender right now like, everybody is literally out here trying to do their best. Yeah. I don't think J. Cole had any ill intention when it came to, you know, replying to No Name. No Name is a rapper, right? Yeah. So J. Cole did what he did. J. Cole rapped. He didn't tweet. J. Cole don't be tweeting crazy like that. No Name, salute to her. She posted a tweet and she expressed herself. And guess what? She didn't name No Names, but a hit dog will holler. So, yeah. J. Cole, and J. Cole said himself. Yeah. He felt like he wasn't doing enough. Right. So no Name was absolutely right. No Name hit one of J. Cole's pain bodies in that moment because J. Cole probably is sitting around hurt, vulnerable, trying to figure out a solution to things and feel like he wasn't doing enough. So he went in the studio and he expressed himself. Yeah. I think that J. Cole was just using that as an entry point to let everybody know I'm not the leader of this movement. Right. I am not the, the activist leader that y'all think I am. I'm just simply trying to figure it out. And I think that's where we get things fucked up. Is J. Cole a leader of the new school when it comes to rap? Hell yeah. Right. For the past decade, J. School has been a, J. Cole's been a part of that three-headed monster with Drake and Kendrick. Yeah. But does that mean he's Tamika Mallory? No. Right. Does right. that mean he's my son? No. Right. Does that mean he's Linda Sarsour? No. Does that mean he's Philip Agnew? No. He's not one of those activists that's out there on the front lines. He just shows up to protest in support. Y'all made him that. And now when a person yeah. doesn't meet your expectation of them, mm -hmm. they're disappointed. That's the problem yeah. with us right now as a people. We have an expectation of people that then, we create in yeah. our own mind. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Welcome to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith a.k.a. Black Socrates, a very different intro if you were a regular listener of the Mr. Dialogue talk show, uh, but I had to open with it for all the hip-hop heads or those that know I'm a big hip-hop lover. And so being the same age as hip-hop, that's kind of brewing in the hip-hop community uh, situation, somewhat between J. Cole and No Name. If you're not familiar with it, go look it up. But to get this thing started, I got my co-host, my special guest co-host, Shadon Reynolds, back in the saddle with me. Just did it last week, so thank you, Queen, for getting back in here with me. Um, if you will, Queen, say hello to the Truth Seekers. We've got a couple of special guests on as well. But, again, just say hello real quickly before I get our guests introduced. 
Good morning, guys. I am sure Don Reynolds, CEO of She Prints It. I am so excited to be here and engage in this particular conversation that, like you said, segue from our last um, powwow together, right? So um, I hope everybody's tuned in. I hope they're ready to call in because this is absolutely a village conversation and it requires the input and the action of all of us. So thank you for having me. No, absolutely. Let me get our guest introduced. I have Akiba Jubilo. Uh, I'm sorry, Jabalo. I'm saying it right? No, no, that's Akiba Jabalo. Akiba Jabalo. Sorry about that, Akiba. But if you will, can you thank you for your first visit to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. If you will, say hello to the truth seekers. Give a little bit of your background. Okay. All right. Well, how y'all doing? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my name is Okiba Jabalo. I'm a fine artist, activist, publisher. I own a magazine called Young Black Entrepreneur. I own a uh, branding agency called Noble Soul Art Group where we focus on building black, primarily building black businesses in which we don't exclude other businesses, but the start of the business was around um, being able to build up black businesses within our community from a branding standpoint. Also um, work within the HBCU circuit in regards to um, Entrepreneurship, internships, uh, mentorship—it's it's a pretty deep rabbit hole with me. And a great starting point would be okeepitchabalo.com to get, you know, as much information as you would like to get. Uh, absolutely, and look, brother, just so you know, you you kind of pretty low. Every now and then we heard you pipe up, so I don't know if okay. maybe the way you're holding the phone, possibly, or if you're in a speaker. But either way, you were okay. a little low. Yeah, you sound a little better okay. now. Whatever is that, that is you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And I also have, without further ado, special guest Oshun Ojo. How you doing, Queen? Thank you for being with us and uh, giving your shout out and in uh, introducing you and giving your background. I'll let you pipe in a little bit about the intro, just because you and I had a nice little back and forth on it. Just to mention it, and then we'll get started with this morning's show. But thank you, Queen, for being with us on your first visit to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show as well. Absolutely, and thank you for having me. Peace, everybody. Um, I'm Oshun Ojo. I'm um, a lover of black people, <laughs> basically. Um, I have a couple of decades of experience in um, community activism and grassroots organizations. Um, I am um, in IT, and I'm the founder of um, an organization called Execute Hold Black, where we give free summer programs and teach black girls specifically who are um, marginalized when it comes to all things STEM and IT, um, how to code. Um, and I'm here today for, you know, the community discussion I think needs to be had. Thank you for having me. No, absolutely. So let's go ahead and let the cat out the bag if you're just now tuning in. This morning's discussion question, should we define the police? Should we define the police or not? Should we define the police or not. Again, if you are a first-time listener, I am Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. We typically do our shows in the form of a question. Um, the concept is, to, in a sense, to take the Socratic method. We feel like to get to the right answers, we have to ask the right questions, if you will. Uh, before we go to our first initial break, uh, Shadad, if you will, I want you to do this correctly so that our guests follow suit. Uh, our initial question pretty much every week, the way we start, is basically I would like to ask if you think about the question itself, all of you, should we defund the p 
defund the police or not. I want you to tell me your first thought when you actually heard, I said, okay, come on the show. Here's the question for Saturday. Tell me your first thought. So, Shadon, in a sense, you asked for this show, but that's how I worded it. So sometimes the way I word it gives you a different thought. But what was just your initial thought without going into why you thought that, but just your initial thought, literally your initial thought? Yeah, my initial thought was we defund the education system on a regular so why wouldn't we be open to the conversation of defunding the police department? That was my first no, thought. Ab- no, absolutely. All right. Keep we're going to go with you as well. Just a, your first mm-hmm. thought without explaining it, just the initial thought when you heard that's the question for this morning. Um, the initial thought would be, um, not would be, but was, wanting to make sure that we understood what that meant. In, in the full capacity of the word defunding the police and what that really means in real time. So that was a thing that um, struck a chord in me. All right, sounds good. And Oshun, again, I got you from a former guest. It was at uh, Maryland. She hooked us up. And so when I reached out to you and said, hey, here's the question that we're doing, um, can you recall your first initial thought without, again, going too in-depth, but just what did you think when you first heard the question? Um, my introduction to the discussion around defunding the police came from actually an organization called NPDOM um, or the African People's Socialist Party. Um, so it was Amalia Shetela that introduced me to the concept of defunding the police, but the way that they word it is community control over police, that we de- we demand community control over our policing. So when this this um, conversation reemerged recently, it was nothing that was new to me. Um, it was something that I had been um, discussing and working on actively for almost 20 years. Um, so my first initial thought was, it's about damn time. <laughs> okay. Nah, I can dig it. I can dig it. Well, we are up against our first break. And when we come back, we'll get hot and heavy with this morning's discussion question, should we defund the police or not? We'll be right back. All I ask is that you think. Peace and power, y'all. This is Baba Ami Ojiwoke of the Uhuru Academy. Malcolm X said that education was our passport to the future. For tomorrow belongs to the people who prepare for it today. Well, the Uhuru Academy Online Summer School is a live, interactive, online experience for youth ages 6 through 16, where they learn life skills, where they engage in academic enrichment, where they engage in, in cultural enrichment via our Sankofa for Success African History Program, life skills through chess, vision development, and entrepreneurship. I'm talking about action-packed. I'm talking about fun, informative, and interactive. A lot is going on right now. We need to be focusing on solutions. And our children, our children are going to inherit these challenges. Let's get them ready. Enrolling them in the Uhura Academy Online Summer School is one way to do it. In my opinion, the most effective way. Visit UhuraAcademy.com right now for more information. I'll see y'all this summer. My name is Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. I am the owner and facilitator of the Mental Dialogue Community Support Group focused on practical solutions and the collective thinking of the black community. We do that one of two ways every third Friday, 7 p.m. at Urban Grind, or Saturday mornings, the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Contact us at mentaldialogue.com or on Facebook at Mental Dialogue. All I ask is that you think. Then the police came, (laughs) I went in the house. Because they got magnums, too. (laughs) 
and they don't kill cops. They kill niggas. Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Shadon Reynolds, our special guest, Okibu Diablo, as well as Oshun Ojo. Thank you all all for being with us. We hear a cut from Richard Pryor, um, greatest comedian of all time, in my opinion. Uh, just kind of opening up, again, this morning's discussion, should we defund the police or not? And real quick, um, Shadon, you already kind of mentioned that, uh, you know, people didn't understand it. So you just had a quick, if you will, just give, give me a, a quick thought on your further understanding of it, and then I'm going to go to Oshun, who has a deep background in it, to kind of, you know, break it down, if you will. Uh, but go ahead, Queen. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, in in its simplest terms is that people don't respond to things affect them, right? And so defunding the police department is not necessarily – uh, at uh, oh, let's just strip them of their uh, funding and the supplies they need. That's not what we're saying. We're saying we need to break this system down because it is not functioning properly, and it needs to be not rebuilt but built over with the community that it is serving. The police department doesn't seem to understand the community that they serve. In turn, they view us as animals. And so um, there's two pieces for me. One, I think that we need to break it down and rebuild from scratch and redevelop the foundation and funding impacts that. But also um, Dick Gregory years ago talked about the importance of making sure there's something that they lose, right? So I've always said that the police are underpaid, but let's start connecting it to things that matter to them. What Dick Gregory talked about, for example, is what if we pay for their children to go to school and in turn if they did something wrong or broke the law or what have you then they would lose that money so it's not that they will ever care about us in some cases but they care about their own and if we're taking things away it impacts their bottom line in turn will caution uh, caution them to respond to us differently uh, sounds good. Let me give a quick definition. I don't know if this is the exact definition, but something I saw real quick, and Oshun will go to you to break it down from your perspective, but just something I saw in Rolling Stone, for example, it said, defunding the police does not mean stripping a department entirely of its budget or abolishing it altogether. It's just about scaling police budgets back and reallocating those resources to other agencies. Um, a lot of what we um, advocate for is an investment in community service, education, medical access. Uh, you can call it defunding, but it's just about directing or balancing the budget in a different way. Um, your thoughts on defunding the police from the way you understand it. Go ahead, Queen. Um, Ms. Reynolds, I love you. 
I, I think that um, her assessment is on point. I do want to make the the distinction that um, the sister said that the system is not functioning, and, and I want to say to that, it is. It's functioning exactly the way that it was in, intended to function. Um, the, the police force began in America as um, runaway slave catchers and slave patrols, bounty hunters. In my state, in the state of Texas, the Texas, Texas Rangers were hired henchmen whose express purpose was to eradicate the, the indigenous population. So to that I say, yes, they are functioning the way that they should function, um, which is why we need to eradicate them. Um, I don't think it's a question of uh, reforming the police because the police, their intention is to be an extension of the state and oppress the people black people specifically, in order to reinforce hierarchies that have been implemented by the state, social hierarchies and, and um, all other sorts of hierarchies, right? Um, so, yes, to that point, I want to say that. Yes, it is functioning the way that it should, and that's why it needs to be dismantled. Um, the second point that okay. I want to make is that, oh, sorry, no, yes, please go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, is that, yes, uh, what you said about defunding um, is something that people generally don't understand. We don't want to abolish the police. Well, in my in my case, I do because um, I'm a bit of you know a radical. So when we talk about abolishment of the state, we're talking about abolishment of all the arms of the state, including the police. But that can't happen overnight. And so the first thing that we can do um, on the on the road to autonomy as Black people is to take control, community control over the police. And so when we talk about defunding the police. We're talking about taking a budget of nearly $200 billion annually just on police spending, not counting what police spend on uh, police misconduct and all kinds of other things, and reallocating those expenses in the community where they can be used to empower the people, thereby reducing crime. Uh, sounds good. Before I keep on, I, I got your words that you posted um, this week. I wanted to share them with the um, audience, if you will, uh, but definitely speaking to the idea of Oshun, as she said, for her personally, she's actually going as far as, in a sense, dismantling or disbanding, which is something you spoke to this week, um, but also distinguished she understood the difference, you know, between what her wishes are and defunding, which, again, defunding itself, as we've explained, is not, in a sense, getting rid of the police, as some people have kind of maybe mistook the definition, but what you said this week in reference to those who did believe that or think that's what it's mean, what it means, or even are calling for it. Um, your words this week were um, all this talk of disbanding the police will just, I'm sorry, will um, just turn into the private security companies getting contracts. They will hire the same police and have less legal account accountability. Uh, I think that's a strong thought, but of course I'll let you explain it yourself. Uh, go ahead, King. Okay. Okay, and definitely I want to thank the uh, two sisters beforehand because y'all laying it out, you know what I'm saying, where as we reach for the right definition or the right movement, it's impossible to think the people who created the problem are going to fix the problem, you know what I'm saying, because that's just not how the system is designed to work in regards to fixing the problem. Because they create the problem, they maintain the problem, and like you were saying, like with the slave catchers, you know what I'm saying, with these prisons being um, prisons for profit, the goal is to lock up as many black folks as possible. You know what I'm saying? So just saying that to say this, when we understand and say, okay, we're going to defund the police, you know, like, and I like to deal with my own backyard first, Atlanta. If we say let's defund the police here in Atlanta, let's allocate more funds going in other directions. Honestly, pertaining to Atlanta, I've never seen so many dysfunctional, incompetent people 
in my life in regards to leadership. So if you give a bigger budget to people who don't know what they're doing already, that's just more money that's being wasted behind nepotism, colorism, sexism, and every other ism that's out there. You know what I mean? So when we look at private security companies, like the um, – there are a number of private security companies out there. And, like, let's say we break down the police and say, okay, now so-and-so, because they do that overseas, so-and-so is going to be in charge of your community. You know what I'm saying? I think the better way of doing it is for a high level of transparency and honesty. And when I say high level of transparency and honesty, what I mean is saying if you're a policeman, if you know you have issues with black people, right, it doesn't make sense for you to be in my community. The only police, just to use that word police, that I want in my community are people who are invested in my community. You know what I'm saying? So if I'm a police in my neighborhood, I love my neighborhood, I love my people, so I'm going to have a level of empathy and understanding in regards to doing anything, any type of policing. And not saying that you let people slide off of doing things that they shouldn't do, but you have a heart about what you're doing. And you know what I'm saying? So if that's a black officer who has a problem policing black people, he he or she needs to be in a white area. You know what I'm saying? Or, or service the demographic that you want to service. So just to answer that question around the, um, you know, the private sector, that's another part of what this is that I think is impossible for those who create the problems to fix the problems. That's up to us to fix these problems because they ain't going to do it. Yeah, so some version of what I'm hearing you talk about, um, and I'll personally say I advocate what I'm, this, this part, what I'm about to say, and I, I'll be honest with you, uh, I wasn't familiar with the term defund, and so I, I credit these youth and their mo- and the way they're moving that's got us having even having some of these these discussions, and even if it's not directly related to what they're doing, they're definitely the, in a sense the catalyst for those who understand these things uh, to ha- to have these conversations more and more. Uh, clearly, Oshun, you've been as you've mentioned, you've been understanding this for much longer than I think most of us have. Um, but the one thing I heard you say, Akiba, was the idea of, like you said, that officer having something invested. And there's a term that's been thrown, thrown around for a number of years called community policing. And so that's that idea of, uh, you know, that you know that policemen are, you know, we take, and we'll get into, you know, more of this later or whatever, but even, a, you know, Rayshard Brooks, when he says, hey, my, my, my apartment's down the street, a community policeman might know that and be like, yeah, you are down the street, let me take you down there, just based on the relationship. But clear, clearly what we've often said in our community is when you don't have those uh, officers who are invested in the community, it feels like an occupation, if you will, like like our areas are mm. occupied. And so that's the experience that, unfortunately, quite often a lot of African Americans um, have around the country. We actually got a caller that wants to get in. I got Brother Pianchi out of St. Louis, so I'm going to open up the phone line and see what he has to say, and we'll continue this discussion. All right, Brother Pianchi, what you got for us? I told you how you doing, man. How you doing, King? Good Thanks job, young in. man. On this issue, I hear this. There's 18,000 police authorities across the nation. Each is controlled by their community, as is stipulated in their state constitution. Like I think I shared that with uh, you on the state of Missouri. Yes, yes, so that, that would be up. That would be up to those communities to operate, to to uh, be responsible for their own departments as they feel is best for them. There's no national police department that's ran by the federal government. 
They're ran just like the school districts too in many states. They're ran by the people of those communities as is stipulated and given to them through state law. So if a community wants to defund or dissolve like we have seen in some communities around the country, they dissolved their police because they weren't satisfied with what the department was doing and they came back with something different. That's up to them. Now, thank you for that point, and I'll kind of reiterate some of what Brother Pianchi is saying, um, and it just kind of relates to something I mentioned on a show just a few weeks ago. Uh, we had a show where we, where I offered this idea, it's one from one, from one of my guests in the past, Maria Richards, has this idea of, in a sense, um, African Americans around the country, in a sense, remigrating um, back towards one another. So even though we have pockets of places where we are, we her, her thought is we're kind of too spread out. I, I mentioned that to mm-hmm. to as a caveat to the idea of if we were, in a sense, the majority in a lot of our communities, the current political system is what Brother Pianchi is talking about. We literally, if we took control of an area, we literally could use the things that are right there for us through, through political means, through numbers, because unfortunately we only have about 24 cities in which we are the majority or in the entire nation. But if we would aggregate in places where we're about 30 40%, and then we go, become the majority, then we could, in fact, take control and designate those community police officers, if you will. So, again, I, I, I appreciate the thought that Brother Pianchi, because I think it is, I would say, doable, uh, even in the immediate, to to a certain extent, uh, but, you know, we definitely need to further explore, um, you know, in a sense, what the, what the funding looks like. So, um, Oshun, if you will, before we go to our next break, uh, uh, we simply say it's not getting rid of the police, that term itself, uh, but just, if you could just give some insight, uh, if you, in a sense, had control of this purse, right, and you say, okay, I'm going to designate money here, I'm going to take money from the police to go here. Um, what are your thoughts up against what Akiva said in the sense that here in Atlanta, he would be concerned about even who he would give the money to based on what he sees here in Atlanta. So having heard that thought, how in a sense would you defund and maybe your area and what areas would you put it in and why? If you could just, you know, give me a thought before we go to our next break. Um. Uh, I want to say first that um, I trust black people and I believe in black people. And I think that when we're talking about bringing forth solutions for black people and someone insinuates that black people are not capable, um, that's problematic. Um, I think black people are perfectly capable of implementing our own solutions, um, uh, given the opportunity and the funds to do so. Um, I definitely don't have more trust in systematic white supremacy than I do in black people. So if you're telling me my options are systematic white supremacy or I don't trust black people, you know, then what are we really saying? Um, right, can I interject real quick, are- real quick, Queen, if I could, just real quick. And Akiba, you can back me up on this. I'm going to let her finish. But yeah. I'll tell you, I'll, I, I kind of heard the brother not necessarily saying black people are not capable. I think he was being in particular to who he knows to be running certain areas. So I don't think I heard him saying we're not capable. I think he's really talking about particularly the leadership here, here in Atlanta. So that's kind of how I heard it, not the, not, the, not the general 
sweeping, we're not capable. Am I right on that, Akiba? And again, I just, because I just, if that yeah, is that's the case, exactly I, what I, it I, is. Okay, so I want, so I definitely want to let you finish, Queen. I just want you, you know, just kind of understand he wasn't saying what you heard, and you can still continue your thought, though. Go ahead, Queen. And so, um, even if we are in cities where we know that there is corruption or that we don't trust the people that we have in leadership, we are capable of changing that leadership. Um, that was the rest of my thoughts. Um, I don't think okay, that's so isolated. I, I think that's something that I hear people say across the board, no matter where they live. I lived in Atlanta for 15 years. I'm very familiar with the system in Atlanta. I worked in the streets of Atlanta for a long, very long time, so I understand what's being said there. Um, we're we're still capable. Uh, that's that's the, the end analysis. Black people are capable. Um, uh, the second thought that I had is that someone um, said, you know, well, what if the police? They're going to privatize it and the police won't reflect the community, or you're going to have people who are policing us who, who, who don't um, belong in our community. And I want to say, I lived in Riverdale, Georgia for many years. And I remember that when I lived there, there was a class action lawsuit that was brought because the city of Riverdale was like 98% black, and yet the police force was 98% white. And the people brought that. So, when you, so the first thing I want to say is that, number one, it's not that black people are, the city of Riverdale is 98% black, but the people in positions of power were not 98% black. And so the decisions being made in that community weren't being made by the people in that, who live in that community. Um, the, class, the class action lawsuit that was brought against the city was saying that it's mandated that a police force should um, reflect that community, and that does not happen. So when we say, well, you control the community, so you should be able to control what happens, we're talking about systematic white supremacy. We're talking about um, the systematic ability to control outcomes. And so what, what should look good on paper as the outcome is not always what happens, and Riverdale is an example of that. So part of saying that I want to defund the police is saying that I want community control over the police and saying that we are going to have a police force that reflects our community, that comes from that community. What the city of Riverdale was doing was saying is that we can't find anybody within the community who meets our standards. We rewrite those standards. We say that a person who's a nonviolent felon is able to be a police officer within his community, his or her community, right? And so it, it would be mandated that the police force would indeed reflect or you have to live in the community, community that, you, that you police. There would be no outside influences. So I think that that whole idea that, well, they're just going to get people from outside and private people could be resolved by that. Um, do we have time? Can I go on? Yeah, we actually up against the break, Queen. So I'll let you finish out coming out of the break. Okay. So yeah, if you will, let me yeah, let me jump on this break real quick. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Well, all I ask is that you think. Always finding something to be mad for. Man, I hate my life. I wish I had yours, but it's yours. Yours, 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 yours. Yesterday I woke up out the matrix. So today is right back to the basics. Blocking and tackling, taking angles in pursuit of my happiness and embracing my nappiness. It's Wakanda forever, had us under the weather. Sick and tired of the pressure, always gotta be fresher, always gotta be extra. Everybody is special. Social media training, if you're speaking the language. All day long, all I see is everybody perfect when I'm scrolling through my phone. Like all they want It's just a bunch of bragging people acting like they get it But they don't It's true All day long I'm sitting here 
sitting at home watching the motherfucking bank robbery. And I used to, like, hate the police with a passion, like everybody else. Fuck them. Yeah. You know because they always fuck with you. Here's your ticket. Uh, pull over now. Get out of the car. Put your hands up on the car. Get on the curb. Sit down. Go. Come on. Sit, 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 sit. You know what I'm saying? I used to hate the fuck out them motherfuckers till I seen that bank robbery. I'm sitting there watching that shit. I said, we need more police. Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Soccer Heat, along with special guest co-host, Shadonna Reynolds. That song you heard, Joe Bleeds, all day long, comes from our sponsor, Square Business Entertainment, as we just heard a cut from Eddie Griffin, our special guest this morning, Okibo Zuabolo, as well as Oshun Ojo. Oshun, you were talking before the break. I had a quick, um, I knew you were going to a second thought, so before you jumped on that second thought, I just wanted when you ex- describe the scenario, I'm I'm in that area now, and and now they luckily they transferred. That is all I ever see is black officers in that area. That's kind of the area I live in now. Um, but what it made me think of when you were explaining how it was, I guess when you were here, it made me think of this aspect. And just wanted to hear your thoughts on it, and you definitely could finish your other thought. Um, but it made it made me immediately think of the situation back with Mike Brown in that particular city, how they, at the time, they those activists have changed this now, but they had a mostly white um, officers over their majority black area, and at the time, they would turn out, their voting turnout was literally only 2%, and I'm not trying to make voting more than it is, but that blew my mind that they wasn't putting in leadership that would have edicts like you just mentioned, the idea they're going to be from the community. We're going to make those adjustments. And so that's where I would attune that to leadership because, yeah, it's blowing my mind that at one point, this area that I'm in, that that's what they, you know, that's what they look like. So that, you know, that blows my mind. But just, just a thought that that that's where, again, the majority, if we are voting, you can get the people in that could do, do the things you're saying, at least in my opinion. Go ahead, Queen. Yeah, and I, I agree completely. I think that we have to be accountable. Um, what that looks like is different for different people. It's going to take more than one strategy for us to, to win, mm-hmm. I think. Um, so I'm not really big on the whole voter thing because I feel like you can't legislate your way out of uh, systematic oppression. But there are there are ways that you can make moves, and that's one of them. I think that people have to be accountable, um, like the brother said, for your own community. You have to be able to um, to put people in positions that work for you and then hold those people accountable and then be accountable as citizens to make sure that we, that we follow through on those things. I agree completely. Now, it makes sense. Actually, we got another caller. For anybody out there online, the number to get in is 646-787-1691. Again, that's 646-787-1691. You do have to press 1 to let us know you want to speak. Let's go to... Area code eight zero three last three nine three two. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion question. Hello. Hey, you're live on the air. Yeah. What, what you got for us? What's your name? Where you what, calling from? And what's your three cents this morning? What's going on? This is Calvin, South Carolina. Long time, Calvin. How you doing? Can you speak to me? Making it, making it busy, busy, busy. As you see, uh, hey, we tell everybody we're coming is here. Now, we have a problem. And our problem is this, and our dilemma is this. Um, even in cities and counties and stuff in which we have majority black uh, leadership, or, or you know, people in the electoral thing, here's the problem. 
we keep choosing the wrong leaders. If you if you do a, a, a quick survey, you'll find out many of them are clergymen, pastors and clergymen. There lies our problem. And they when you send Pastor Pope chopping them to um, any kind of office, their job is to do themselves a favor by making themselves rich and giving the power structure that's already there everything they need. Because a lot of times they are the ones who help in gentrification go on in black communities. Matter of fact, right now, as you see with the protests, always late to the party, and here they come running out there marching around the state house or marching around whatever, trying to calm everybody down. Oh, everything must be peaceful, this, that, and we got to do it the right way. No, 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 no. The only thing that got us in the predicament we're in, I mean, got us at the point we're in where they're scrambling to make us happy is those brothers who originally got out there and did what they had to do to make this happen. You trying to call, I call them fire extinguishers. Their job is to come out here to our community and put out fires. That means put out the the, 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 the fiery um, decisions that we have made because we know we need to make these decisions. Why? Because we are being uh, brutally killed daily. That's a reality show now. And you got to get rid of these people, these weak leaders that you have. These leaders are not leading. They are leading blacks. There's a difference in leading blacks and black leaders. Leading blacks are chosen by the establishment. That's why when they get the call from the uh, police uh, commissioner, they come go grab the pastor. Then he come down there and go get all his parishioners in his church, and then they have this little march down the middle of some safe street. Tell them they are no longer our leaders in our community. You need brothers and sisters who really know the research, who's done the research, who's done the economical, educational, and health-wise uh, research on what it takes for our community to thrive. See, like I, I, I love the passion as always, Kevin. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I thought you were finished, King. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. What I'm saying is our problem is these poverty pimps. We got an external enemy and we have an internal enemy. And we got to get rid of the internal enemy before we can even deal with the external ones. I think we got to figure out some other way to do it, but how to how to get how to get rid of both of them, if you will. Uh, but speaking of the type of brothers and sisters that do that, we got two on right now. Kiba, you mentioned the idea of uh, that's maybe similar to what a Calvin is saying. So I'll kind of let you address the thoughts from this mm-hmm. brother uh, and Shadon. You can address it as well. Go ahead, um, Kiba. Okay. Well, first I want to make sure I provide the context and clarity around the competence statement that I made about Atlanta, because I'm here, you know, 10 toes down. So when I say the level of competence, I'm not saying that black people aren't competent. I'm saying the people in charge of Atlanta are not competent based on the reality of gentrification, the poor school systems, small businesses can't survive, the art team is total trash, community programs are total trash, no healthy food options in the black communities, total trash. So when I say that, I'm saying that based on the evidence that's right here in front of us, that I've been working on and with for the last 20-plus years. So I'm not saying black people aren't competent, because if anybody who knows anything about me, I'm the total champion for black people, hence Young Black Entrepreneur Magazine and everything I've done in the community. So that's not what I'm saying. So the second part of it is saying, okay, when you look at dealing with the snakes in your own front yard, that's a real thing. We have to look at, like, like let's say if you come up with an extra $500 million, and you have to delegate that money and shoot that money into different directions, 
the best way to do that is to look at those who are already in the community doing it with the kitchen table money. Because if you're doing it with your kitchen table money, which means money out of your own pocket, that means you're doing it for the right reason. Now, if you get the right support around you, then you can grow that process way quicker and way faster than, than uh, Dr. So-and-so, who's been sitting in a classroom for the last 15 years but hadn't done any of the work in the, in the uh, community. You know what I mean? So you've got to deal with people, like the brother was saying, as far as, like, real community leaders and to focus on Atlanta. Atlanta, and I'll say that because I'm here. I'm doing what I'm doing here. So Atlanta has a problem of, of choosing celebrity over credibility. So if you're looking for credible people, you have to go in the community and contact the people who are actually doing the work and not just manufacture these leaders and put them out there as if they're doing the work because that's not the case. And that's one of the reasons why Mayor Bottoms is having a difficult time at connecting with the people because they've spent ignoring the people. So now you need the people's attention. But you fail them in every sector of Atlanta. That's why you can't connect with them. Well, all I heard, Shadun, I'm going to let you go ahead and jump in on these thoughts. But all I heard was a PSA for the Mental Dialogue Community Club. Did you hear that, Queen? I'm just starting in there for the people with the kitchen table money. <laughs> I, I wanted to get my get my hand raised on that one. But go ahead, Queen. Any thoughts uh, for, uh, for my caller, um, Kevin, as well as uh, a people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, um, I definitely, I, I can respect all of that. And it's, uh, made so many little thoughts dance around in my head. But one of the things that stood out just in the midst of this entire dialogue was that um, words matter. And what I mean by that is we're talking about community policing. We're talking about bringing people in the community who look like us. But we are constantly programming our children, and I say this with a pure heart and not with um, not to degrade us, or down us, but we program our children that at one part in the 60s and 70s, police were pigs, right, and they were disgusting and all these things. And now um, the reality, not necessarily program, but the reality is that the police don't care about us, right? And so, but in that conversation, we don't continue it on to say, and because we don't have people who care about us, we need to become those people. And I think that piece mm-hmm. for the younger generation nice. is missing, and it carries past the police department. We're talking about our political leaders. How often we have, do we have conversations encouraging our youth to grow up to become what it is that we need? So when I say words matter, we have to, we have to be careful to not um, continue to speak in what I deem as incomplete sentences, right? Like we're saying the police are Mm -hmm. bad and that's it. The politicians are bad. You know, like, okay, finish that sentence because if we finish it, it would be the police department doesn't care about us, which is why we have to grow up to become what it is that we need, that our politicians are not doing what they need for our community, so I need you all to go to school and be political science majors so that you can become what we need. I respect us um, taking down the system, so to speak, and creating something that's our own, but it's not like this will be new to us. As a black community, we've done it before. Much of what we're talking about now, of course, is Tulsa because of Juneteenth and, and what just happened, the massacres, the anniversary of it. But that wasn't the only place where we came together and created our own. It can be done again, but we can't just focus on what's wrong 
we have to have conversations with all people, but particularly the young people, about solutions. And and my last take on that is, uh, of course, as a business owner, I am always talking about the power of wealth. And people don't like to talk about money because money has gotten, you know, deemed as a bad thing, so to speak. And I don't, I've never thought that money was evil or money was bad. It's just that anything, when you give money to people, whoever they are, it will magnify it. If it's a bad person, they're going to become a worse person. But if it's a great person with great intentions, they're going to become a greater person with greater um, completion. And so if we obtain that wealth in our communities and empower our businesses, then we can take that power to empower those who look like us. But too often in this space, um, I'll say we we want to do enough when the movement tells us. I think you guys talked about celebrities. Celebrities say, okay, y'all, go buy black today. Okay, we'll do it because Killer Mike said it today. But are we doing it every day? Are you guys funding black businesses? Are we making sure that they have what they need so they can grow, so they can employ us, so we can stop sending our kids to Walmart and Walgreens for their first part-time jobs, but sending them to some of these black-owned businesses where they can potentially grow up and have a corner office as a VP at that same company. Um, so it's a, it's a collective of things. The policing is just the height of the issue in the moment, but it's really more of a symptom than it is the actual overall problem. What I loved about what you said, I'm going to go to you, Ashun, because I want to hear your thoughts on what Shadun had to say. But I want to keep it particular to this conversation. And basically all Shadun has something to do with, as a, she's a, one of our members, so something that we do consistently is we call it critical thinking. So she's asking that question one step further. She's not stopping at, as she's kind of saying, what's wrong, what's the next question to get to the answer. And so, um, you know, even when I played the Eddie Griffin clip, uh, I, I kind of played it just for the idea of for people that are, in a sense, afraid of your idea of shooting, the idea of dismantling, you know, for example, you know, the next question a lot of people ask, well, what would we do? What would we do then? And and I love the idea if we are going to select people from our own community, we, we have to have a, a different conversation for our children to even want to police our community, if you will. But just any thoughts about what uh, Shadun said, and then we're going to go to the next caller after you. Go ahead, Ashun. Thank you. Yeah, I agree fully with what Shadon said. I think we need to be solutions-oriented. Uh, first, we have to identify the problem. I think one of the things is that um, we identify ourselves as the totality of the problem when there's something much deeper going on, right? So if we identify the problem and understand that it is systematic, and then we identify our complicity within that system, then we're able to go forward with solutions. But I think that she's completely correct in that we tend to identify issues and say what the problem is, and then kind of sit there and muddle in it without uh, creating solutions and also creating workable, tangible solutions that our children can kind of take the baton and, and um, run with. Um, I think that... Out of fact, let me, let um, me speak this. I'm sorry. We are actually up against the break. I let it run up on us. So I'll let you... Sorry, cut, okay. cutting you off in the middle of your thought. But we'll have you come out of the break, and then we'll go to the caller. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Well, all I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. 
Also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made zero dollars an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. Everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk, talk. They still go with me. Because I look like money. Smell like money. He didn't yell. He didn't make fun of her. He started educating the crowd on the history of black people and the police. He talked about slave patrols, Rodney King. And Watts and Emmett Till and Black Wall Street. He talked about Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, and he talked about John Crawford III. Do you guys know who John Crawford III is? No, who's John, John Crawford, Crawford III? Didn't he get killed in, he got killed in, no, I'm about to say Walmart, but that don't sound right. He did get killed in Walmart. He picked up he a did. BB gun. Oh, okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was for sale in Walmart, and he was just looking at the BB gun, and somebody called the cops, a white person called the cops, Mm-hmm. And the officer came in, doesn't even say drop the weapon, hands up, just shoots him and kills him. I remember that, security yeah. footage. Yes, it's plain as day. And according to the uh, comedian DeForest, he said, Chappelle then tells a story about getting, pu- getting pulled over in a rural Ohio where he lives. This is before that shooting, before Don Crawford III got shot and killed, but after Ferguson, so racial tension is bubbling. He said, I may be white on paper, but I'm still black, so I'm nervous. He said, the cop approaches. He can tell I'm nervous. I have both my hands on the wheel. And I say, officer, my license and registration is in the glove box. I'm going to reach for them now. I promise I'm not armed. He said, I could tell the officer was offended. And he said, I know who you are, Dave Chappelle. And I said, so why do I need my license and registration? He said he got off with a warning. And he said, the twist is that same cop is the same cop who will go on to murder John Crawford III. And at the end of it, he said, I shouldn't have to be Dave Chappelle to survive police encounters. Damn. Now, what's really relevant about this whole story, though, is the comedian, Kenny DeForest, who tweeted all this and waited until now to talk about it five years later. He said Dave Chappelle goes on to explain that one of his best friends is South African. He said, I asked him what it was like in South Africa right before apartheid ended, and he said it was chaos in the streets. There were riots and car bombs, but the amount of people caring hit critical mass, and there was nothing they could do to stop it. The people had momentum, and apartheid ended critical mass that's what we have to hit once enough of you care there will be nothing they can do to stop the change and he said it was incredibly powerful and the crowd was somber and silent well i think that's the moment that we're in right now and you know it mm-hmm. makes me exactly. feel welcome back to the mental dialogue talk show i'm your host montoya smith aka black socrates along with special guest co-host shadon reynolds a special guest okibo and Oshun. thank y'all both for being on Shun, you were kind of finishing the thought, so we'll let you finish up your thought, and then we'll go to the caller. Um, I think I was just getting around to the question of solution um, that we talked about. I think that the first thing that we need to know is that we don't have to have all the answers immediately. What we have to have are um, structural answers that we know um, from other places. Some cities have already defunded. Some, some countries have different policing models. Um, we have to have um, a high-level idea about what it is that we want to do and where we're going. And this this situation is something that is uh, uh, nuanced and, and changing and ever-growing. And so um, I think for for us to have, have the thought that we have to be able to sit down and completely write out every single detail, it will be evolving as we evolve um, in our situation in this country. So when we talk about solutions, we, we know um, the high points of what it is that we need to do. We know what defunding the police will do. We know some of the ways that we can use some of that money. 
Um, I propose reparations um, uh, as part of the plan as we we defund the police. You take some of that money away from the police and you give the money back into um, our reparations program Um, and other ways as well. So when we talk about solutions, um, it's an ever-growing, ever-changing, alive um, uh, situation that that we're talking about. No, it absolutely makes sense. I was on a a show uh, last – well, I called into a show – um, Mark Carmen was a guest last week, and he's a former police officer we had on the show last week, and I called it to his show, and he was talking about this idea of defunding. And, um, you know, just one quick idea, uh, whereas Brother Pianchi said all of these things are controlled locally, uh, I still, just to throw out as an idea, maybe one of these things we would evolve into, if you will, Oshun, is just the idea of when there's a best practice, that, why not have it done in, you know, more cities, uh, San Antonio years ago, they they been stopped showing up for, for example, mental health crises in police uniform. They they literally changed out the uniform and literally have not had a shooting in a mental health crisis ever since they started that practice. Something as simple as that. Why not? Why not implement it nationwide, even if they are in a sense controlled locally? You know, just a thought. Uh, real quick before I go to the caller, I, I definitely want to take advantage of the cut I just played and, and get y'all thought, um, get Okiba and Shadon's quick thought on the idea of, uh, you heard Charlemagne the God on the Breakfast Club, that was the cut, at the end kind of saying, hey, we might be at that, that mass critical point. I was just wondering, are y'all seeing this moment as a possible tipping point to move things forward? I just wanted to see the momentum that we're experiencing because I, for the last few weeks, have been giving, in my opinion, the millennials and youth credit uh, because I think they've been moving way more organized than we give them credit for, and I think they have us at the cusp. Of, I'm not going to say I know what, but I think there's some level of critical mass being built up. Now we have to obviously be smart about how we take advantage of it. But just a quick thought from you, know, from you uh, Shadon, and Okiba, before I go to the caller. Okay. Should I still there? Would you like me to go first or put on you? Oh, no problem. Yeah, go ahead, Akiva. Um, go ahead, Akiva. Yeah, uh, maybe I, I might have lost her. I think I might have lost her. She'll call back in. Okay. Go ahead, Akiva. Yep. Yeah, I think one of the things when we look at this energy that the youth are really driving forward, they're driving this energy forward because we, and when I say we, I would say they're elders, failed them in all sectors, right? So they're no longer interested in the we shall overcome, the singing and dancing and praying for your enemies. They ain't interested in that. You know what I'm saying? So this has been really a perfect storm for that type of change. You know what I'm saying? Where it's, it's just like a symptom, like the sister said earlier. Atlanta, and I'm, I'm going to narrow this down to Atlanta because I'm talking about my own front yard, backyard, side yard. Atlanta has neglect, neglected this this group for such a long time, and they're no longer interested in the, in the word playing lip service. So you combine all of those elements plus a pandemic, plus a broken economy, plus continuously killing, you know what I'm saying, black folks like it's nothing. It's a perfect storm for So to take that energy now and to take some proven, trustworthy community leaders that was leading before this happened. I ain't talking about no killer light. I ain't talking about no TI. I ain't talking about none of those um, manufactured leaders. I'm talking about people who were in the communities before any of this happened, using their own kitchen table money and working together, even your gang leaders. Because that's the thing. You, if you're going to be in the streets, you've got to be in the streets. You can't play with it. So you need everything from the teachers to the right preachers to the gang leaders to the, the small businesses to, you know what I'm saying, the mom and pop shops. Mm-hmm. That's the real community. 
Nazis jokers who live out in Stockbridge or whatever who made their money millions of dollars off of selling us death. And now all of a sudden they want to be praised as some kind of community. <laughs> they ain't have a game. Well, you, you, have, you have to get you're on top of it. I mean, um, the kids, and I've and I, I went on record, if you will, I've been on the video saying that's the reason the kids don't listen to us because when we're up here going, there's a better way, I say if the kids turn around and say to us, well, show me the results of your better way, we would, we would, right. we would give them nothing. We would hand them nothing. Right. So that's why it didn't work to roll out. And I, and I love Killer Mike personally. I like the way he moves, but I still will stand by. Rolling him out wasn't going to stop these kids for the very reasons that you said. Let's go to uh, – we got a couple of callers. Kevin's trying to get back in and also have an, another call as well. Mm-hmm. If you're listening out there okay. online, the number to get in is 646-787-1691. Again, that number is 646-787-1691. If you're already on the phone line and want to speak, you do have to press 1 to get to get in the call queue. Area code 571, last three, two, three, seven. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion. Hey, King, it's Brother Emil. How you doing? Hey, how you doing, King? What you got for us? So uh, everything that the brothers and sisters are saying is uh, resonates with me. I'm actually taking a back seat. I'm almost 50 years old, and I recognize that whatever I could have done or do is less than what these young people are doing right now. They're going back into the war. They're standing in front of authority, and they're saying whatever process that got us here is insufficient to get us where we think we can go. And they're serious about this. What I see as a need is a second way. So one of the things about defund the police that's important is we have to define that term and be very specific so people understand. If there's a bank that's robbed, we'll still have a response to that. And if they're they're armed, the response will be armed. But then the second wave are the people like us who can come in and take, take, seize that lead and follow that lead. And I'm saying it very specifically, follow that lead and be the energy that continues and sustains the effort over the next two to five years. So that it's not a movement, it's a revolution, but the revolution isn't to wholesale change America, it's to make America hold up to what it says it is. And this whole concept of people being frustrated, these young people being frustrated and saying, we did our part of the bargain, where's your part? And finding out that the other side of the bargain is not being upheld, it's up to us at the in reserve, the people who are not on the front line, who are going to have to be the ones who continue pushing this forward, because at some point, they're going to get frustrated that they're dragging the rest of us along, and then the movement dies. We have to step up and say, as the second wave, as the third wave, it's time for us to follow that lead and do what we need to do to ensure the police are properly defunded and the other services are properly funded, that we hold power accountable, that we do the things that are required at our level at 50 years old, 60 years old, at 40 years old, while the people on the street are doing their thing confronting this authority and agitating for change the right way and getting the, getting the concrete broken enough to have change actually happen, manifest, and sustain. Thank you, brother. Thank you, King. Great three cents. We're actually up at the top of the hour, if you will. I want to set this up. As a matter of fact, let me caveat something that I heard Emil just say. Um, absolutely, we're talking about, and I like what he's saying, and the only way I think we can do that is to approach these youth who are kind of leading the way and pushing us in this direction. Is I mentioned this earlier this week, is the idea of we can't 
keep pointing the finger or saying what they're doing is wrong. It's understand, like Okiba said, they're frustrated to the point that they're doing what they're doing. So we have to go with them to them with understanding. And if there's going to be wisdom that we're going to implement, if we so-called have it, you got to go with them with understanding. You can't just keep saying you're doing it wrong. They're never going to listen to that because we don't have the results anyway. So we better go to them with understanding, in, you know, in my opinion. Uh, for the top of the hour, I have a, a song by um, the rapper Bun B. I uh, wanted to, as, as always on Mental Dialogue, we try to deal with things from both sides of an issue. And so this is an interesting song by this artist, if you will, um, Akiba and Oshun. If y'all will listen closely, I had to get Shadun back on. She, you know, she was at work, so she may have had to leave. But with that said, listen to the words because this is Bun B talking about some of what we've already been talking about. It's a song where he raps in the viewpoint of a police officer and him as a passenger. And it's that idea, in a sense, why this person became a police officer and what they contend with. So definitely want to have y'all listen to the lyrics closely as we start discussing that at the top of the hour. We'll be right back listening to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Of the police force, but I don't walk a beat or ride on a police horse. In my patrol car, late night riding, working in the same community that I reside in. I saw the pain in the city and couldn't stand it. Crimes committed and no one was reprimanded. The conditions in my city was getting bad, so I hit the academy and walked away with a badge. I need to piss, so I stop at the Valero. I see a guy buying some switches in a Modelo. Please don't light it up to your home, that's what I'm hoping. That's what I see him dump his tobacco. And start smoking. I pull up right behind him and hit the lights. If he admit he got some weed, I'ma let him make it tonight. As long as there's no warrants and he's legal in the street, that's when I see him reach under his motherfucking seat. God damn. I see the blood To the side trying to stay calm Whole car smelling like fire straight napalm I know my gun ain't got no bodies Got haters up off me but ain't shot nobody Should I tell them I'm packing but ain't got no plex Or just let him find that hoe and wait and see what's next What if he's a killer cop like I seen on the news Should I shoot his ass first? God damn I'm confused Okay I checked his plates and they came back clean But I still better call some back up to the scene I don't know what he was reaching for so I'm feeling nauseous I just want to make it home so I'm trying to be cautious Got a couple of arrests But ain't no conviction Get out the squad car And my adrenaline kicks in So not knowing if he's committed Any prior harm I walk up to his car With my hand on my firearm Welcome back to The Mental Dialogue Talk Show I'm your host Montoya Smith A.K.A. Black Socrates, this morning's discussion question, should we defund the police or not? Special guests, Shun and Akiba, thank you all both for being with me. Um, as we hear, again, a cut from Bun B, the rapper, uh, formerly of UGK, if you will, and he gives a perspective from both sides of it. And I think it speaks exactly to what Shadun was speaking to in the sense of we obviously know this is an issue. Uh, I mentioned the idea of our communities 
feeling occupied quite often because often those policemen or police people are not part of the community, if you will. And but when you hear that perspective, if we stay in a space where it's simply f the police and 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 while warranted, if we just stay in that space as a community, even these future solutions that we're talking about, who's going to want to step up? Because there is a sentiment I think amongst young people in the sense that. I'm not doing that because police are hated. All the way down to here in Atlanta, you know, we've had police walk out with the situation with uh, Rayshard Brooks, if you will. But I wanted to have both the challenge, again, critical thinking, challenge both of you to speak from it from what we just heard, the officer's perspective uh, of, you know, basically saying, hey, I'm fearful based on this guy reaching under his seat. That by itself doesn't mean anything, but his preparation or thought was, I'll walk up with my hand on the gun. That's not something I think other cultures experience the way we do for no damn reason at all, but think about it from the officer side of it. Any thoughts, Oshun, just again, just getting in those shoes for the sake of, you know, doing this for the show? Yes, I love that song. Um I'm Texas born and bred, so, you know, Bun B, Big Crit, love that. Um, my first thought is that um, in part of the – one of the ways that we want to um, restructure the way that the community sees the police is that we limit the, the contact that the police has in the community. And one of the ways we want to do that is to ban pretextual stops and um, consent searches, right, They that commonly act as, uh, mechanisms for police to engage in um, some, you know, a questionable, questionable behavior. Um, in most places, what was what was described in that song would not be criminal. So I think we need to talk about um, the system that criminalizes people, the offenses that are worthy for police to stop people, and um, the contact that we're having with police in those instances. No, that's a fair thought. I'll, I'll throw out just for the sake of the song. Um, it, it's not an issue in the states that uh, no longer criminalize, which, you know, some a lot of states are moving to that, not criminalizing, you know, in a sense, personal usage of marijuana. And so if you recall, he didn't mention that the office, you know, in that role, he mentioned that he saw that, but he said, I'm going to let him go home. But that's all it is. I'm not going to make an issue out of it. But yeah, in, if you're in Seattle, you're in Colorado, I think okay, you can speak to that. I think Georgia might have recently moved to decriminalize small amounts of marijuana. I may be wrong on that, it's on the, or it's on, the, it's on the bill or the two happen, uh, but you can speak to it. But let me hear your thoughts as well in reference from the other side of it. Uh, one, what you heard in the cut and the idea of Shadun mm-hmm. brought to the table. So in a sense, having youth come up and be those community officers, because I do think it is a necessary part of the solution. Um, Ego Shun said, you know, there's no one answer to this thing. But go ahead, King. Right, right. I definitely think, like, when you listen to the song and playing both sides, you know what I'm saying, I think, I, I think and I feel that it's impossible to police a community that you don't love. You know what I mean? So in Bunby's song, he's saying, okay, that officer wants to get home safely, point blank, period. You know what I'm saying? And the person in the car wants to get home safely. So we have the two different realities moving in a different direction, even though it's in the same direction. So what happens if that policeman went to high school with whoever's in that car? And then there's a level of understanding. 
you know what I'm saying, or, or even in the community, right. if you know that Okiba is the officer, and if I pull you over and I see you at the grocery store, I see you in the neighborhood cutting grass, washing the car, you know what I'm saying, we can have a, there's a certain level of conversation that we can have to resolve whatever the so-called legal issue is, because the problem is, even in Georgia, if you say, okay, there's a certain amount of weed that you can have where it's not a criminal offense, if I'm in condition as an officer to see you as less than human, you know what I'm saying, even if that's the case, I'm still going to treat it as a criminal offense. You know what I'm saying? So it's hard to put your finger on it the right way. Do I agree with both sides of the song? Totally and completely. But on both sides, of those, on both sides you still have to acknowledge the fact that we've been conditioned and those around us have been conditioned to see us as less than human. So all of the, the basic rules of engagement disappear when you're black. So you got to fold that into how do I make a good decision about this? You know what I'm saying? If I'm a policeman or even the person that's right. in a car, like the brother, um, uh, Mr. Brooks, you know what I'm saying? It's easy for people to say, okay, well, well, he shouldn't have fought the policeman. He shouldn't have done X, Y, and Z. The policeman was sitting there speaking to him for like, what, 30, 40 minutes? You know what I'm saying? Trying to lower his, lower the calm of it. And then at the last minute, you're going to arrest me? You know what I'm saying? While at the same time, we're still in the midst of dealing with you handcuff me and you can kill me right here, so it's like fight or flight. You know what I'm saying? So can we really blame the brother for responding according to how he responded? Because all black men suffer from PSTV. Not even just black men, but black people. So when we look at it from that standpoint and saying, okay, back to the song, both of them are right. But how do we get in the middle? Is a question. How do we get in the middle? And I think great question. Yeah. yeah, great question. Um, has to be considered. Uh, I like how you said that both of them are right uh, from their personal standpoint. Um, you could also be wrong, as you mentioned, from the standpoint of you've been trained to see us as less than. So the reality is you see us as less than, you see us as criminal. Uh, and so, like you said, something simple gets turned into more. Whereas if you community police, you could say, oh, I know. Rayshard lives down the street, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, Shadon, we got mm-hmm. you back on, Queen. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you were able to catch any parts of the song, but I'll kind of just let you jump in wherever you want to. And then Calvin, uh, one of our callers, is trying to get back in as well. So go ahead, Shadon. Any thoughts uh, from what you've been able to catch? I don't know how much you've caught when you got dropped off. No, I'm sorry. I didn't catch any of the song. Um, but what I, I no will problem. continue is where this king just left off is that um, there's – we're not saying that every each side is 100% wrong, right? So I'm not of the belief of not having police at all. But what we do have to understand is that America has trained non-blacks to view us as criminal, right? And I think we kind of touched on this last week with – the cop that you had on the call, and although he wasn't speaking about black people specifically, what he said was that he will have less empathy for a person who has committed a crime. And so that dehumanization is a huge problem in the black community, period, because before they even encounter us, everything around them has told them that we were criminal and in turn has dehumanized us. So what he's saying, and I agree, is this king is that it does have to be people in your community who look like you that have values 
like you in a value that area because you view the people who you are to the left of you, to the right of you, hopefully in a human capacity, right? Like you can, you, you appreciate them, you respect them in turn, you're more likely to want to protect them or at the very least give them the benefit of the doubt. But we don't have that in America. We don't get the benefit of the doubt at any point. You know, if we do something, we should know better. If white people do something, oh, they need a second chance. And we watch over and over and over them get second chances to rectify their wrongs versus even amongst our own, we have that conversation where he shouldn't have did this and he shouldn't have did that. Well, he was intoxicated. And a lot of times people just make mistakes. I'm of the belief that every person on the planet has committed a crime, whether it's a felony or misdemeanor. You just didn't get caught. <laughs> um, that's real. So no, that's real. Let me make this point real quick before I go to the cop. Oh, so please go ahead, Ashun. Is that you, Ashun? Go ahead, Queen. Oh, yeah, I was just saying either she's right. Either you committed a crime and you didn't get caught or you didn't know it because so many things are criminalized. You commit, you commit crimes every day and not even aware of it. That's true. Very true, very true. Um, but what, um, to 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 both to your point, Shadon, I've always said this. Having studied this issue, um, you know, being a legal studies major and caring about this issue for a long time, and getting into the casework and things of that nature, and and so you always hear this this term about training, about training. I'm like, and I've been saying for years, at least at least five years, maybe even longer. I'm like, police don't need any more training. I watch them de-escalate situations with other cultures all the time. So I see that they're properly trained, but as y'all are both saying, it is because of how they see us that we're not allowed to be given just that human right to be treated the same. That they fear us, and, 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 and I'm not making that up. I mean, that's backed up by uh, former po- uh, police chief Norm Stamper, uh, who wrote a book about that and said, hey, from the beginning of training in the academy, there is this idea still that is a, a narrative that comes all the way, that goes all the way back to the period of Shum talked about when they were even creating the police to be slave catchers, the idea of us being these big, scary, fearful, and dangerous you know, something other than human, right, that that still, according to Norm Stamper, is still to a certain extent is being subconsciously caught. That's how a Tamir Rice, at what, seven years old, the cop said, I thought he was around 18 or to 20. Like, how, you know, like how can that kid, yeah, yeah, he was, he was 12 years old, but he thought he was around 18 to 20. That only right. can happen from yeah. a subconscious um, standpoint. Kevin, we actually got another break, brother. I'm going to get you coming out of the break. And anybody else, if you're looking to get in, the number is 646-787-1691. Again, that number is 646-787-1691. When you get on, you do have to press 1 to let us know you want to speak. We'll be right back. All I ask is that you think. Peace and power, y'all. This is Baba Ami Ojiwoke of the Uhura Academy. Malcolm X said that education was our passport to the future, for tomorrow belongs to the people who prepare for it today. Well, the Uhura Academy Online Summer School is a live, interactive, online experience for youth ages 6 to 16, where they learn life skills, where they engage in academic enrichment, where they engage in, in cultural enrichment via our Sankofa for Success African History Program, life skills through chess, vision development, and entrepreneurship. I'm talking about action-packed. I'm talking about fun, informative, and interactive. 
a lot is going on right now. We need to be focusing on solutions. And our children, our children are going to inherit these challenges. Let's get them ready. Enrolling them in the Uhura Academy Online Summer School is one way to do it. In my opinion, the most effective way. Visit UhuraAcademy.com right now for more information. I'll see y'all this summer. UhuraAcademy.com. Highly recommend that you get your children, especially now they've been quarantining, make sure they keep getting that knowledge specifically about themselves through Uhuru Academy's online summer training. Uh, We'll have that brother... uh, Baba Amin on in a couple of weeks, so look forward to speaking with him. But in the meantime, go ahead and get enrolled. And let me throw this out in reference to um, African-centered schooling, if you will. Years ago, I did a show with a child psychologist, and I basically brought her on and said, hey, what should these parents, what should parents be saying to their children? I wanted to basically figure, you know, with her being a child psychologist, she would line up you know, maybe at this age you have this conversation, at this age you have this conversation. But that was my expectations with her being a professional. And so when we got to the show, she she didn't give me that. I said, well, you know, what, what, what can these parents be saying? And this is what she said. She said the number one thing, the number one thing you can do for your black child is to ensure they know who they are. Now, I was happy she said it from the standpoint of I love history. I consider myself somewhat of a you know a historian, if you will. And so I'm like, okay, that sounds great, but I'm trying to connect it when she said when she and she kind of leaves it there. And I say, well, okay, well, break that down. And I told her I, said, I expect to hear steps, step one through six, if you will. And she says, she simply said, she says, when you have a sense of self, you naturally understand how to navigate certain circumstances because you have value with yourself, if you, because you have value in yourself. But if you've been brought up and have beaten yourself up, you don't see yourself as valuable. She says decisions people make, you know, as she said, at a, for example, a police stop, and you have this huge fear that I'm about to get killed, Those that decision made in that place, in that decision, may not be the smart, logical decision. But when you value yourself, you are quickly able to navigate in most cases, no no, 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 no situations 100%, if you will, but in a lot of cases, you're able to navigate what level to, in a sense, interact with that cop at because you have value for yourself. You do have something to go home to, if you will, but if you're in complete fear, those decisions are not always the best. So I, so anyway, I felt it to say, you know, please get your children enrolled in schools where they see themselves because in public school they will not. Let me go to the caller real quick. Yeah. Kevin, oh. I got you back on, Kevin. What you got for us? Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, I love that commercial. And what you just said was spot on. Now, what, what I have a unique position is, I've been in this game here for a long time, so I'm dead in the middle of it. So I'm a, I, I, I consider myself a, a young old head. So now I'm an elder in the fight uh, that you see out here in these streets right now. So what happens is the reason why a lot of these youth are doing what they do because we've been out here year after year educating the youth on the history of us and them and the nation. I got the, the police commissioners and the police department and all that. They come to me, man, well, what, what do we do? Well, what do we do? I said, first of all, you got to go through the history. 
But the history tells the truth about who you are, what your job is about. See, like you just said, yo, I tell them, and I told the police commissioner this. I said, first of all, you are nothing but the remnants of the slave patrol. Your job was to recapture white man's property, and we were that property. That's why you still treat us just like that. He sat there and paused. He, could, he, he had no answer because he knew I was telling the truth. And you train your mm-hmm. true same exact thing, and he looked at us as property. That's why property is supposed to obey. See, white folk get to sit there and plead their case and cuss them back out. Black folk don't get to do that because the slave is not able to talk back. The Casual Killing Act was an act that was put in forth that said a white person could kill a black person as long as they was in the process of correcting them. See, we got to go back through the history and find out to break this thing down exactly what the police department was made for. That was its conception, and it's still that way. They just don't say it out loud, but they practice it. They practice it every day. And another thing, um, as a people, we always waiting to be so super organized. Those children ain't organized like that. They go out there to the fight, and then they start coming up with the concept that we have taught them over the years. They listen to Malcolm. They listen to the, uh, the ancestors. They, they come up with those same things. When they're in the face of those enemies, of in the face of the police department or the legislators, they are re- uh, quoting the same exact things that Malcolm, uh, Marcus Garvey, Amos Wilson, they'll spit that thing out. My problem is with our old folk, the people our age, <laughs> don't know nothing. I got you, brother. See, you know what I'm saying? And they, they're telling now them they're doing it the wrong yeah, way. No, they're got... not doing it the wrong way. Uh, right. Now, I respect the King. I respect yeah. it. I love your passion. I'm glad that I got you back in. Definitely a great three cents uh, this morning. And, and, um, I think, right, I'm sorry, who wants to jump in? Besides, I think I heard somebody besides Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. Um, but I think right now, the place that we're at, in my opinion, and if you're on the line and want to get in, you do have to press one so you can get in just like Kevin did. Uh, but the place that I feel like we're at, and I want to hear y'all's thoughts on I'm going to play this cut that really speaks to what I'm about to say. Uh, and it's the idea of we're kind of laying out, here's the reality. Here's the history, as you just heard Kevin go through and y'all mentioned earlier. And we kind of, even after hearing the Bun B song, whatever, giving both sides of it, we're all in agreement that, unfortunately, others don't quite see us on the human level. So since we're in agreement of that, I personally think there, that, we should do a better job of strategizing based on how things are. We still need to fight to change them. We have to fight to change them. But I would offer that some of our frustration comes from not strategically moving, quote, unquote, in a police interaction with the idea of I can't do or I can't act the same. And I'm not saying that's easy because some things are just human nature and that's, and that's, of course, what makes it not right. That's what makes it abnormal because, you know, you damn right when he's asking Sandra Blunt, you seem upset. Yeah, I would be upset if all I did was signal over and now you're pulling me over and giving me a ticket or whatever, but that cop collated that situation. She didn't do that at all, but – she literally was taking the ticket, and he goes, well, you seem perturbed, and starts escalating at that point. That's all on that cop. She should have never been taken to jail. 
but absolutely she's perturbed. Everybody else would have been allowed to be perturbed. So I'm, I'm making this point because I want you all to hear this, this cut from a guy. I don't know. I just found him. Oh, actually, uh, one of my um, members sent me this video in reference to a piece I wrote, and I was like, you know what? I want to use this on the show and hear what all of you think. So here's just a couple of cuts. We're going to do the first one right now. So just if we will, bear through this. Uh, the truth comes in all colors, and I will say personally, I think this is smart based on the reality. It's not about what I think is right, but based on the reality, what I, I think this is smart, but I definitely want to hear y'all opinions. Well, howdy there. Henry Happy Blitzbow again. Starting off tonight with a story so we can head some stuff off in the comments section from the Second Amendment crowd. Um, okay, so 10, 15 years ago, something like that, I was at the range. When I was at the range during this period of my life, I was angry. I was not having a good day. This was range therapy for me. Um, so while I'm there, <laughs> a rookie cop with the county starts walking down the line, checking serial numbers on guns. Just was not in the mood to deal with it. Closed my case. And when he got up to me, he you know, kind of indicated he wanted to search it, and I told him no. We had a quick back and forth. He put his hand on the case like he was going to do it anyway. My pistol was sitting on the bench in front of me. It had a mag in it, but the slide was back, and I put my hand on it. And he put his hand on his gun belt and radioed for backup, and we just sat there and stared at each other, waiting for backup to arrive. When backup arrived, sergeant rounded the corner, gun out, ready to go, and he saw it was me. And he did that. It's Bo again. Um, at this point in my life, I was, let's just say, well-known to law enforcement. <laughs> uh, he did what a good cop does walked up and diffused the situation with a joke. You know, he asked the guy, he's like, what's going on? He's like, this dude said he's going to shoot me if I open his case. And the sergeant looks down the range at the target I was shooting at. Looks back at him, he's like, well, I wouldn't open the case then. You know, everybody laughed. The The rookie cop got a, a talking to, explaining that he can't do this. And then the sergeant turned to me and explained that I should know better. At the end of the day, nobody got shot, and my case didn't get searched. Um, what if I had been black? You wouldn't be hearing this story right now. Man killed at range. Okay. So, I got questions, a few actually, from black people who want to start gun clubs for black people. And I told that story to remind the Second Amendment crowd that... It's not the same. It is not the same. You know, um, you're say, well, they don't have to do that. It's their right. It's our right. If they do the same things we do, they'll end up dead. Right now, they're, they're trying to flex their rights, advocate for themselves, and just get law enforcement used to the idea that a black person can be armed, and that's not a reason to shoot them. So you, you can talk about the Constitution all you want, but if they have a bad encounter, the only use of the Constitution would be to pack the wound. It's not going to stop the bullets. It's very easy for us to be ideological purists when we're not going to be the ones getting shot. Well, Sean, I think I'll start with you, Queen. Um, again, I, want, I think we have to address 
the reality to strategically talk about how we raise our youth and prepare them while things are the way they are. We're all fighting. We want to get behind them and make this change, get behind yourself, somebody who's been fighting, as you say, in the community all these years. But until that idea of how we're looked at has changed, I think it is very necessary that we own that reality. In my opinion, sometimes we make some mistakes because we're fighting for what's ideal and we act for what's ideal and we don't act based on this very difference that we all, we know, like what he just said is not, he's speaking to the choir, to our community, right? So he clearly was saying that to his fellow white community in the sense that it is different. We've been knowing that it's different. Um, again, I have another cut that's going to go into even more details, but I wanted to get y'all thoughts before I play that next cut. Go ahead, Ashun. Yeah, um, that's a nice clip. Send that to me, please, if, you, if you're able to on Facebook. I need that. Yeah, I will. Um, first of all, I want to say shout-out to the Uhuru Academy. Um, Baba Amin, yeah, his wife, and Koya are family to me. My children are Uhuru Academy babies. Um, we've been with the Uhuru Academy for six years. Uh, my child learned real estate, ran a food co-op, did city planning, um, and excelled in general studies. I became the STEM coordinator for the Uhuru Academy. Um, as a result, and um, they gave me a community to fall into that gave me tangible, that gave me the ability to engage in tangible results, um, tangible solutions, and I'm really thankful for him. Hey, um, let me say this real quick. We, I didn't know that before I asked her on. So this is literally the small world of doing this and caring about our community coming together and making things happen. So shout out to Baba Amin. So I didn't know that until, yes. I think you just told me, what, last night? In the so I invited you on well before I knew you was connected um, to the Who Academy in any way. Just wanted to throw that out real quick. Go ahead with your thought, Queen. Sorry. Nice. Small world. Um, so regarding, I think your question, and correct me if I'm wrong, your question is really, um, <clears throat> what do we do in the interim, right? We have a reality. We know that we want change. We know how things should be. But how do we train our children in the interim while we're being viewed a certain way? Right. And my answer to that is that um, I don't believe that the state, I don't believe that white people who act on behalf of the state will ever change in the way that they, that they um, perceive us. Someone spoke about earlier about um, uh, there being a the sense of fear from white people. And they said, oh, it's because um, we've, they've perceived us as, as this, um, you know, subhuman or, you know, um, extremely strong creature who's to be feared. And, and I submit that it's not based in that type of fear of us, because if it were, then we wouldn't have been oppressed for 600 years, right? I submit that there was a white guy at my job who said to me, um, white people are afraid that you're going to pay us back and give us what you owe us. Mm-hmm. It's not a fear of who you are as a being. It's not a fear that you're going to, um, that you are this uh, uh, supernatural being, you know, and that you're you're a criminal. It's a it's a a a um, an inherent fear that I have treated you a certain way for 600 years, and you are going to eventually rebel and give me what you owe me. So to that I now say that's major, we queen. should not. I'm I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I thought you no no I didn't realize I thought you were at the end. Go ahead now. Finish your thought. Sorry, Queen. Oh, okay. So my the my thought is that um how do we how do we behave in the interim? Um we we train our children the way we always always have trained our children on how to deal with the state. However, we never we never operate with the assumption that we are going to change minds and hearts. They're gonna be who they are, they're gonna do what they what they're gonna do. We have to have our eye on the prize at the end of the at the end of the road. Uh makes sense. 
All right, I'm going to go ahead and play this other cut, and um, I'll have you come out of this thought. Um, I'm a big advocate of, at the end of the day, and I know it's not simple. Some people don't like this word. I get thrown out the, out the room quite often when I when I say compliance is absolutely what's necessary, not compliance from the standpoint that it's our fault. I'm not saying it from that standpoint, but it is the lesson that has to be reiterated time and time again or should be reiterated because I see people in our community frustrated to the point where, like a Bun B mentioned, I got my gun, should I shoot him first? I People are frustrated and fearful to that point, and I'm like, if some people think that's the road that should be taken, and I'm like, in my opinion, absolutely not. So let's play this cut, and I definitely want to hear your thoughts coming out of this cut, um, Brother Okiba. Okay, so now on to the actual advice. All right. It took me so long to respond to these questions, guys, because uh, it's a lot more complicated than I thought at first. You've got to get the rules of engagement established. Sadly, you don't get to, to uh, determine them. The cops do and they may not tell you what they are. That's the first thing you have to fix. Get your club together, get your group of guys together, whatever, hold an event. And if you can, make it open carry, even though I normally don't like open carry events. Um, and get, <laughs> get the top law enforcement official in your jurisdiction there. Tell him whatever you have to to get him there. He's gonna talk about gun safety. He's gonna meet voters. Whatever it takes, you get him there. While he's there, you let him talk about whatever it is he wants to, and you ask him directly, what is the preferred thing that law enforcement wants us to do during a traffic stop or getting stopped on the street while carrying? And you get that on video, and you put it online. You get, you get those rules of engagement set. Then whatever it is, do it. I know it's not right. I know it isn't right but you're trying to expand what is you're trying to expand a right that you have that has been disused for so long law enforcement doesn't seem to realize you have it so at this point you just want them to get used to seeing black people with guns that's it if they tell you to put your hands on the roof of the car the second you get pulled over do it just do it okay staging that event no MAC-10s, no Tech-9s, no Brico, Jennings, High Points. Um, and to answer one of the questions that came up, is the High Point really that bad? Yeah. Okay. Nothing that is stereotypically associated with a gangbanger. Again, it's not right. It doesn't matter. We're not talking about right and wrong. We're talking about keeping you alive. Don't have any of that there. You don't want to reinforce that negative stereotype already. You'd be better off with everybody standing there with ARs. Okay, all of that advice was agreed upon. Where we diverged was how you should dress. Uh, two people said, dress as white as possible, using those exact words. Um, I disagree. I would go the other way with it. <laughs> I would stage it. So you have one guy that looks like he just got scooped up from jail, all right? and one guy in a suit, and everything in between. Because while the idea of putting your best foot forward and everything, that sounds great, you don't want them to think that only black people dressed like this are okay. You want them used to the idea that however you're dressed, 
you can be armed because you're not going to be dressed the way they approve when you actually encounter law enforcement. So I, I would actually make sure you have people running the spectrum. Don't knock stuff over. Um, okay, so th those are the key pieces of advice. And then from there, just make sure you do. You, you, you comply. Um, not advice I ever thought I'd give. But anyway, for what you're doing, you want to set the example for law enforcement that they can have an encounter with an armed black person and survive. Because even though it's not true, they've bought into their own propaganda and they're terrified. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Special guest, Okibo and Michelle Okibo, if you will, your thoughts on um, this is, again, a guy by the name of Bo to the fifth. One of my members sent that to me this week, and I decided to use it because, again, uh, you know, why, why do this discussion? Of course, the question is why, you know, should we defund the police or not? Uh, you know, we, we won't get that figured out, but we got to make sure we think our community gets an understanding of how to engage um, so that's why I wanted to go there and kind of take the show in a different direction. But any thoughts on either cut, really, um, if you will? Yeah. Um, well, first I'll start by saying I am a gun owner. You know what I'm saying? And I believe black folks need guns, grenades, tanks, whatever you can get your hands on legally. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to start by saying that. The second part is, like, when listening to those clips, they're accurate and area. But imagine, imagine trying to run a race. And every time you get to the finish line, they move the finish line. So that's what that is. It's just like whether or not I'm in a suit, a T-shirt, some white beaters, an A-shirt, let me not say white beater, an A-shirt, regardless of whatever I'm dressed as, it all depends on who's on the other end of that finish line, being the policeman, the officer, or the state trooper, or whoever. You know what I'm saying? So whatever their issue is with me as far as what they see, is going to be the reality of that outcome. You know, I can I can speak with the king's tongue. I can speak. I'm from Charleston. I can be super, super geeky, whatever, whatever. But it all depends on whatever they have going on in their reality. So as black people, just think about that, that you have to think of a thousand different ways to navigate this system, a thousand different ways. And even when you think of those those different ways, it does not mean that you're going to make it home safely. It just doesn't. You know what I mean? I think a so let me, let me jump in right there if I could. I want to If I could, I want to challenge uh -huh. you right there a little bit. And okay. um, so for me, again, I've already kind of told you what side I'm on in these, in these mm -hmm. situations or whatever. But I, I believe out of the thousand ways, I think the best chance, mm -hmm. the percentages, if you will, are compliance. Can you end up dead complying? Absolutely. But but my but mm -hmm. with that is this. When when we have, as we continue to have this ongoing situation with law enforcement and the sentiment that permeates our community from the standpoint of, you know, cops being bad and that's kind of what the youth learn and we kind of speak to it and they mm -hmm. kind of add to that. And so when we, in my 
my opinion, when we solidify that compliance will get you killed too, we basically end up telling our youth there's nothing you can do. And I'm saying out of all things, and I'm a numbers guy, for example, just to throw this out there and I'll let you respond to this. But, you know, there's about, on the average 18 million stops every year mm-hmm. by law enforcement, 18 million. Usually, unfortunately, about a thousand people would be killed out of those eighteen million stops. Eleven million arrests. Usually, about eleven, about a thousand or nine hundred, eleven hundred, whatever each year. About a thousand are killed. Ninety-six um, percent of them are killed with while armed. Four percent of those mm-hmm. are killed unarmed. It averages out to one black person killed a day. For the for the most part, a couple and two white people kill per day, if you will. Obviously, it's not just white and black in America, but generally speaking, mm-hmm. you know, it won't be 365 of us killed throughout the year, but you know, usually 250, 260. And I'm not saying these numbers like they're okay. I'm just pointing out that of mm-hmm. those thousand stops, 90. So I'm just kind of pointing out that I'm with the, this guy Bo, whatever whoever he is. If 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 our rule has to be hand on the dashboard, while somebody may get clipped with their hand on the dashboard, if that's a level of compliance that's asked or that's going to be necessary, it's not right. Like he said, that's, that we, we teach the best way is kind of what I'm saying mm-hmm. versus conceding that there's nothing we can do because that's how I hear what you're saying. Okay. And what you're hearing isn't accurate. And let me tell you what okay. I'm saying. From my standpoint of being a black man who's raised three kids, children into adulthood. I believe in teaching the whole aspect of what you could possibly deal with. Worst case scenario to best case scenario. You know what I mean? Best case scenario is compliance, making it back to the house safe. Worst case scenario is not. So for my teaching style, my teaching style is if we're going off in the woods, right? If we're going off in the woods on a nature trail, I'm not going to tell you brother to go out there with a whistle and a walking stick. I'm going to say get you a mace and a pistol. Because if a, if a mountain lion runs up on you, you're going to have to deal with that mountain lion, period, point blank. So in saying not comply, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying know the whole stretch of what it could be and what maybe it won't be, you know what I'm saying, through my, my teaching method. You know what I mean? So when I open my mouth in regards to anything that I'm standing on, I'm standing on it because I've done it and I've taught it and I'm teaching it and I'm living it. You know what I mean? So if we look at the rules that um, Bo said, do I believe? Yeah, I comply. Because I've been in one too many situations where had I gone in the opposite direction, then I probably wouldn't be on this phone right now. But I've also been in situations where I've pushed the limit because I was sick of it. So having that level of room to have some emotion in it, because we don't always follow what we should do from a logical place. We don't. Because some brothers and sisters just get tired of it. You know what I'm saying? So am I saying don't comply? No, that ain't what I'm saying. I'm saying comply so you can get home safely, but also understand that even if you comply, you can still be in a situation. So be aware of what that is. And I'm not saying, oh, throw your hands up and we can't do anything. That that ain't never where I come from. You know what I'm saying? But I am saying teach. I teach the whole thing. You know what I mean? So like I said, I hope yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I just want to show out that I yeah. hope that what I'm saying is the reason that I'm even getting to comply is because because of the whole story. Like the reason I'm having to get there is because I have to say this is why it's different for you, son, because I have to mm-hmm. tell the whole story. The only result is 
in my opinion, the only result can be that gives you the best chance is to comply. It's not me saying I don't understand. I, I definitely led with I'm not blaming when you get frustrated to that degree, but understand, unlike other groups, there is a high, a much higher risk associated with that interaction. So as best as you could be, even when frustrated, calm yourself if will. Again, I'm not saying it's easy. I've been falsely arrested, and the minute I realized that this cop was bent on taking me, I got released even before I got put in the jail. That's how silly it was, not to give the whole story. But once mm-hmm. I realized he was bent on taking me, I, I'm a legal studies major and and did a couple of Know You Rights events and just realized this cop don't know what he's doing, and I'm finna turn this situation bad if I don't just simply let it be what it is. And I'm not saying that's easy to do, but it's what we must teach for kids who are out here believing, in my opinion, that they're out to kill me and there's nothing I can do. But I definitely want to get Oshun's thoughts. And, you know, the brothers have been going back and forth. We definitely need a queen to kind of straighten us out as we kind of just dialogue about this thing all the way through. I'm just stressing, you know, obviously the way I feel about this because I feel like there are too many children out here who are not getting led in the direction of, you know, all, all they're seeing us is fair frustrated. No matter what we do, this is what's going to happen. That's not a good. That's not a good look, in my opinion. Go ahead, Queen. Um, I tend to agree with Brother Akiba. Um, I think that, um, you know, are we teaching our children to be compliant or be submissive? I think there's a fine line, and I also want to point out that. Um, the stats that you quoted are very important about how many stops there are and how many people are statistically going to die and or, you know, be shot or whatever. And I want to say that the Department of Justice put out a study last year that said that black women are the most likely to be unarmed and murdered by police. Um, I think that's a part of a conversation that we don't have to, um, we don't, we don't um, appreciate um, the terror that the state imposes on black women. Black women are most likely to be unarmed and murdered by police. And I have my own story about having police pull guns on me when I did absolutely nothing. Uh, we all do, right? So I think for me, um, my thought is that no matter respectab- respectability politics do not work. When that officer pulls you over, he pulls you over because of something that's born in his own mind. I don't think there's really much that you can do to deter that. Um, either he's made a decision that he's going to murder you, uh, whether you escalate it or not. Ask Philando Castile. I saw a clip of a, a brother the other day who was um, handcuffed, standing at the back of the car, waiting to be put in the back of the car, and got shot in the back of the head. Um, sometimes your compliance could could mean your death as well. It's a thin line to walk. There's no one answer. Um, I'm more radical. I just feel like um, I don't want my children to ever feel. Don't be stupid, obviously, but never submit. Ne- always rebel. Let 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 resistance be your motto. Um, I think it's dangerous. Ninety-six percent of those definitely die. It's not like they're not prepared for that. Unfortunately, ninety-six percent of those that do that die. Clearly, like it's they, it's like the state is prepared to deal with that. I want and I don't. I don't look at, you know, when I realized that cop was doing it to me, I didn't become submissive. I just, at that point, stopped trying to convince him he was wrong, because their egos turned it into more. So I wasn't submissive to them. I actually, they're impounding my car, and I said, can you go get this out of my car? He did it because of, at this point, I'm not arguing with them. And I'm not saying it's that simple. I'm not talking about respectability at all. 
But I'm just saying the Lando Castile is a terrible situation. It's a terrible situation, but I don't like highlighting something that barely happens as the standard to make us think we should be rebelling when I watch cops kill people who rebel way more than those who don't. White or black. So I just think it's a reality. Obviously, I'm passionate about it. I just think it's too risky to leave the extreme situations out there as our standard. It, for me, it's because the extreme situations is why I'm so adamant of complying. Like, I'm not saying it from a submissive place. I'm just so adamant because I'm a numbers person. I play the numbers. Just got to throw it out there. We actually got another caller trying to get in, I think. Let me check to see who this is. So, hello, this is Deanna Harris. Hey, how you doing, Queen? This is Deanna Harris from Cobb County. Um, yeah, so I want to I wanna call in to agree with you, Montoya. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I don't disagree with the young lady in her statement, but I do think that, you know, always living in a rebellious state of mind is not healthy for anyone. Uh, I've been taking some classes and learning the theory of morals, and we've been reading Immanuel Kant and a few other uh, kind of historical writers that have uh, brought the horizon of, of morals. And when you when you operate in that in that idea and that mindset of rebellion, that just kind of puts us back into the state of nature where there aren't any civilian rules or regulations or any civilian ethics to comply by. And then, of course, that will lead us down the wrong path and, and make the statistics of a person who's unarmed, and I'm going to say an American because it's an American problem, uh, especially based on that, the fact that we're only 12% of the population. So I'm sure that there are more people who are higher population that have these issues than we do. Um, and I, I just don't think that it should be taught to children or people as a standard of compliance. We, we do need our officers. We don't need to defund our officers. And for me, that conversation is, is crazy because in black in, in black Atlanta, you know, I would I would go as far as saying that at least seventy five percent of our officers, especially APD, are African American people. So I'm not understanding where we see how do we feel like the training of the black officers on the police department or in the sheriff's office is different from the training that the white officers get. They get this, they go to the same academy. So who's whispering in the white officers' ears to tell them to hate black people more? And they don't whisper it in the, the black police ears. So that's just kind of where I'm trying to figure out the other part of that conversation earlier. And I, that's my sense. Thank you. No, thank you for your time. Let me ask you one quick question before we let you go. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I'll go ahead. Akiba, you go ahead and address it. All right, go ahead. Thank you, Queen, for your yeah, thoughts. I mean, we'll let you go. We only got a little more time. Go ahead, Akiba. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where, like, what she said is in regards to not treating rebellion as if it's a uh, leading force. The idea that we're on this phone right now is an act of rebellion because we should be calling at each other. So do I support rebellion all day, every day? Do I support smart rebellion all day, every day? Do I acknowledge the emotional aspects of you just being tired of the BS all day, every day? Because we have to fact everything isn't as simple as turn a right. switch. You know what I'm saying? Turn exactly. a switch on, turn a switch no, off, absolutely. and you don't feel anything. You know what I'm saying? So to, to spread a blanket across the whole thing, 
is not realistic according to who we are, where we are, and what's going on. So we're consistently saying, okay, the black cops, the white cops, they're saying they're the third. The black cops have been conditioned before they became cops to have a certain level of distaste for our people and hate for our people. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's not foreign to think that a lot of hell that you're going to catch is going to be from the black cops in addition to. So once again, that speaks to my original point about the city of Atlanta. When we talk about the level of incompetence here in the leadership sector, in every angle, of every angle, just because you got a bunch of black cops and a bunch of black politicians and black so-called leaders does not mean they represent black people. And that's the part that a lot of people don't understand about Atlanta. It's, it's like a veneer. You know what I'm saying? That's all it is. It's a veneer, but when you look at who really runs and owns Atlanta, it's not black folks. That's the reality of it, because otherwise our schools would be better. Our community programs would be better. Artist uh, development would be better. Small business support would be better. So that's the reality of it. So I get what that sister from Cobb County, Cobb County, Cobb County was saying, but that's that theoretical thing of off into the smoke, off into the woods. Why doesn't it just apply the same way? It sounds good in your book. It sounds real good in your books. But if you don't read, lead your children with a level of revolution in their heart and their heads, you're going to end up with a bunch of batteries. That's what you end up with. Because we ain't even supposed now, to be like, here let right me say, now. Let me, So this is I'm a revolutionary yeah, act this. right here, right now. No, absolutely. I agree with that. And let me throw this out in, in a sense of even me, you know, standing on my soapbox on the, on the concept of compliance, if you will. Uh, I had a, a, another good friend of mine who um, – I meant to get his video because I really would like to play it, but he just mentioned this idea, and this is kind of the idea of if I'm a part of the revolution, and we should be, and we and it's necessary. So don't believe. I want to make that clear. That's why I stand on that. But when I hear that brother, I watch his video, and he said, "Well, the one, the way they're not going to take me out is on a random police stop. Like that's not how I'm going to go. You know what I mean? So, and and again, I'm not." naive to the fact that I make it very clear, compliance will get you killed too. So I want to make sure that's being heard. Mm-hmm. When I'm saying this, I'm in life, maybe been a gambler in the past, play the numbers. And all I'm simply saying, stressing to our children, the idea of this is this, you must try to meet, it, in my opinion, is no different than the time I spent in the military. I was in the Air Force. So I don't want to act like I was out there, you know, in the woods. We do some survival training, if you will. But even in the survival training that we did, they only put you through that because they want you to be able to respond, get trained and learn to respond different than you naturally would. Again, I'm not saying this as if I don't understand. I always understand when I see someone not comply. I do understand. Like I am saying it from a place of understanding. I'm not doing the respectability. You should have just this. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the messaging has to be as best as you can, even when you're this, come home this way. So I I, I hope I'm making a distinction of I am not doing respectability politics. I'm all for the revolution. I want us to come together, and if I get taken out, it's because they came to my house and we shot it out, not because I got stopped mm-hmm. by somebody who just so happens <laughs> to be afraid of me, Indeed. and I'm tripping today because I'm mad, and I'm not saying that's okay. I'm saying teach as much as we can 
that's the best chance we got to come home. That's my thought. Uh, Shun, I think I heard you last. I'll let you respond to my passion. Excuse me if I'm over-talking. No, I, uh, I appreciate, appreciate the clarity. I think that um, I see both sides of it. I think that um, there's no one answer and that each of those, um, each scenario calls for something different. Um, I'm just saying, and I think that uh, brother that the brother is saying the same thing, is that um, we have to have our children in the mindset of uh, revolution and change all the time. I think the sister who called in said something about, um, well, we can't afford to be in a place where we're, we're always in rebellion because it's, it's um, it is um, uh, something that is not good for us psychologically. And I, I want to say to that, I wonder what your what your ancestors uh, would have done if they weren't rebelling mm-hmm. against slavery. They weren't always in a place where they were saying, I'm going to be free. Uh, oh, you know, we can we can wait for that tomorrow. Today we got to be – no, it's not saying that we don't ever experience joy. It's, we're very complex uh, human beings. We experience joy. We live our lives. But we are always in our mind, in the mindset, and our children should always be in the mindset that they want to be free. I don't think that um, yeah, that could ever be um, detrimental to a child's development. Um, the second thing I want to say is that the sister also said that um, – this is an American problem. I saw a stat the other day that the city of Toronto is 7% black, but um, black people make up 70% of police deaths. 7% black population make up 70% of the police deaths. So this is, this is an issue um, wherever white people have colonized. It's not, a, it's not an issue specific to Americans. Um, the uh-huh. next thing I want to say is that we talked about uh, black cops being on the street um, and we're still having the same issues. And uh, Brother Akiba spoke to this as well, and I agree with him fully, which is that the issue is the structure in which police are policing us. Black cops Correct. are trained in the exact same way as white cops, even though they don't have the excessive biases that um, that white cops may have, that they still are, are, are policing in the exact same structures. We are trying to deconstruct the way that the police interact with the community. So it becomes um, a, a, an issue where... The first issue is that the structure of the police and the way that they interact with the community is not serving us. And secondary to that is the issue of racial bias. Nah, great. We got a couple of minutes. I want to make sure everybody's listening because uh, I know y'all both have great things going on. So the number one thing I want is to make sure people can get in contact with y'all. We have a, a last second to say something at the end. We will, but I want to make sure I get that out for both of you. So, Queen, we're going to start with you. Um, if there's anything publicly you want to, you know, lay out, you can give a you know a quick thought, but then lay out how people can follow your work if you're still making yourself available available public in that way. I know Brother Okiba, I know of him, so I know he has things. I'm not sure what you have, but if you will, please share that right now. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were calling uh, Brother Akiba. No, no, I was just saying um, I'm going to let you go ahead and give out your information, if you would, if there's any anything that you're doing publicly or you want the audience, you know, people, the listeners, this is a podcast, so two-thirds of people, they're going to listen on their own time. You know what I mean? So I'm glad, glad, grateful for okay. the caller today. Sure. But if you will, just, yeah, share your information I'm at this point. Okay, sure. Um, the the uh, program that I'm most involved in right now is uh, a program that I founded in order to serve uh, the most um, underrepresented, marginalized, and underprivileged population in STEM, um, which is black girls. Um, So I founded an organization called um, Execute Code Black, where we give free summer camps to black girls and teach them how, teach them introduction to code ages uh, 5 through 18. Uh, We're open to other ages as well. Sometimes parents come. Um, I'm in the process of redoing the website post-COVID. We were um, uh, set up to, to go this 
this summer, but of course, COVID nineteen kind of you know threw a, a gotcha. monkey wrench so in that. So any other way to contact us? So I want to make are, sure I get Akiba's as well. Yeah, any contact information? Yeah, that you, okay. If yes. you have any at this point? Yes, uh, you can just uh, hit me up on social media is the best way to to get to me. I am Oshun Aya Ibeji Shango. It's um, Oshun I Y A I D E J I Shango on Facebook is the best way to get in contact with me. All right, oh, brother Keeper, we didn't leave you a lot of time. What's your quickest contact information, if you will? Oh, the quickest contact is going to be okebajabalo dot com. That's O K E E B is in Bishop, A is in Apple, J U B is in Bishop, A is in Apple, hello dot com, and that'll take you to everything Okeba, from my magazine Young Black Entrepreneur to um, the internship programs that we have, the community programs, the art programs, the art exhibitions, everything. Just go to keepitjabalo.com or put my name in Google, and then it'll take you to where you need to be to get in touch with me. Now, thank both of you. Y'all were excellent. Um, appreciate y'all very much. And we'll have to do this again because this is a conversation that can continue. See y'all next Saturday. All I ask is that you think. Thank you. Thank you.